Welcome to the Co-op Power Hour on KGNU's It's the Economy. I'm Nathan Schneider, a scholar in residence of media studies at CU Boulder. And I'm Paul Bindle, communications manager at Rocky Mountain Employee Ownership Center. We join you on the fourth Thursday of every month to learn about economic, democracy, and cooperative business. The Co-op Power Hour is a production of the Colorado Co-op Study Circle, which you can learn more about at our website, coloradocoops.info. Today, we're talking about uh, a new wave of co-ops and and co-op-related businesses that are incubating new businesses, that are helping to uh, uh, change the story about how to build business in this country, uh, in our communities, in our cities. And this is something that's happening around the country and around the world. Um, If you look at the map of venture capital in the U.S., which is uh, uh, what a lot of startups are looking for, um, you see a lot of missing geographies. You see, for instance, two big uh, circles around uh, uh, San Francisco and Boston, big circles also around L.A. and and New York, and then a few little dots spread out across the country. Even the vibrant startup scene here in uh, in the Front Range in Denver and Boulder and Fort Collins is still relatively small compared to those huge centers. And when you look at a map like that, you realize how much is missing, how much of our geography in this country is left out of uh, uh, those op- those kinds of opportunities for starting businesses, uh, you you can start to see the marginalized communities that are not a part of that story, um, and also as you learn more about the structure of venture capital and how it works, you start to realize that there's a whole uh, 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 swath of kinds of businesses that really don't fit. Uh, that narrative, uh, non-extractive businesses that aren't just designed to reward investors for early investments, but that are designed to support communities in really sustainable ways. Now, over the last few years, I've started noticing that there's a new breed of incubators and accelerators that are taking a different turn, that aren't aiming their startups, their the companies that are working with them, at the uh, uh, conventional economy uh, at the conventional story, but are working together to enable those uh, businesses to to uh, uh, to collaborate, to share value. I've seen this, for instance, with Inspiral in New Zealand, which is a a network of freelancers turned a network of businesses uh, uh, that that feed each other and that have formed also uh, as a cooperative in order to share value and share ownership. Another example is a co-working space in New York that I reported on for the New Yorker magazine a couple of years ago called Prime Produce. And they're fashioning themselves almost on the model of a medieval guild, trying to recapture that idea of independent uh, craftspeople and artisans uh, uh, working together and sharing resources and strengthening each other. Uh, there's a new example in uh, in Pittsburgh forming uh, uh, right now called Work Hard PGH that, again, is a co-working space that also uh, uses the cooperative model uh, uh, to, to uh, empower businesses that might not otherwise uh, uh, gain access to financing and that kind of support. And I like what you were adding there, Nathan, just about talking about capitalization and who receives funding and who doesn't. Um, in some ways, people have said that co-ops are the original crowdfunded business model. Um, and they've also pointed out that cap- co-ops are undercapitalized, but that might not be just because they're co-ops. It might be because exactly for the conditions that you just described. Um, but what co-ops allow is for multiple people 
uh, to come together with small pieces of capital and and pool that in order to to develop the businesses that they want to see and that serve their communities. Um, some of the things that we're seeing right now as well are investment clubs that are on the rise, um, including one that's forming in the Denver Metro, uh, where a group of people are getting together and pooling their capital and their resources in order to invest in cooperative businesses and in cooperative uh, ecosystem in the front range. So today we have with us in the studio one example of this phenomena, phenomenon. This is Joe Ewing of Wayfinder Co-op. It's a new uh, cooperative co-working space uh, forming uh, right now in Denver. And we're going to learn about the process of developing this business, how, how they're doing, uh, uh, where it's coming from. But first, we're going to talk with Ronnie Langer uh, Kroger, who's a co-founder and curriculum and instruction specialist at Uptima Business Boot Camp. And uh, this is a really exciting example of this model just getting going in the Bay Area. Uh, so we're really looking forward to hearing from her. Ronnie, welcome to the Co-op Power Hour. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Nathan. It's great to be here with you today. Now, we've, we've a lot of us have heard of accelerators and incubators, but uh, maybe less familiar is a business boot camp. Can you tell us what Uptima Business Boot Camp does and what it's all about? Yeah, Uptima Business Bootcamp is a member-owned business accelerator that supports freelancers, small business owners, and startup founders in launching and growing their business. And we really encourage them to think holistically about their business. Uh, what does it mean for them to be successful in business? You know, I can download 100,000 articles off the Internet about what it means to be successful, the 10 things um, you need to do to be successful in business, but really business success is deeply personal. And we really encourage them to find that path and to look at how they want this business to fit into their lifestyle and um, what kind of positive community impact they want to make with their business. Um, and when I said that we're member-owned, we're the first business accelerators that have been set up as cooperatives. That means that the people who go through our programs, the people who work in our programs, and to a much lesser extent, the capital that seeded our programs, all have an opportunity to become member owners of it. That means that they get to share in the profits and the governance, really creating a community of thriving businesses that are supporting each other. So what are some of the businesses that you have um, already accelerated uh, through this program? Or maybe just yeah, some have, of the industries. Mm -hmm. We um, we have two programs that we run in both Oakland and San Francisco, and uh, we have a freelancer program that works primarily with um, people who want to be self-employed or are already self-employed in personal professional services industries, um, artists, musicians, and writers. Um, because self-employment right now um, is on the rise, and it is a business, too. You have to take care of all of your own taxes and your own marketing and sales funnel and, and get business for yourself as a self-employed person. Um, then the second program that we offer is a small business and social enterprise program. Here we work with um, businesses that have um, positive community impact in, in various ways, um, they could be a small local business that is uh, in the community and recirculating dollars locally all the way up to a, a technology platform. 
that could be global in nature and making global impact. And, if, you know, a few of those businesses um, that I usually like to talk about is um, the Institute for Evolutionary Leadership. Um, they are a community pr- a practice and um, leadership program for people who are looking to create a more just and sustainable world, um, and they are global in nature. And then on a more local level, um, we have a business called Pickup, P-I-I-K-U-P, which is a local delivery business working with small businesses um, and delivering their products and, and um, documents to other businesses and individuals. Um, so that's the kind of range that we have in our program. Now, why did uh, going with a co-op model, a, a member-owned model, make sense in your case? Did it enable you to do something that you otherwise wouldn't have been able to do? Absolutely. Um, you know, our premise is that uh, business ownership is a really great means for wealth creation. And um, I have a long history with cooperative economics and entrepreneurial activities. I didn't know this at the time, but I grew up around entrepreneurship and cooperative economics. My parents came to the United States the year before I was born with a few suitcases, a few thousand dollars, and my brother. Then they adopted me. With two children, my mom took on micro-entrepreneurial activities to help support the family. So similar to the stories of many immigrants, she banded together with a lady down the street to clean people's houses. And at the end of the day, they would split the money they earned. So on a very small level, this is cooperative economics in action, and it helps provide more financial stability for both of our families. Um, I thought, well, what if we could do this on a deeper level with um, a variety of businesses across our community? And so not only are you creating wealth by owning your own business, but you're compounding that wealth by um, being a part of a business accelerator where you're sharing in basically a fund of other businesses that you get to receive the profits from and share in um, the assistance in developing their businesses. So we're talking to Ronnie Longer-Kroger of uh, Optima Business Bootcamp, and Optima has three classes of membership um, according to the website. There's worker members, accelerator program members, and investor members. Do you want to say more about those different classes of membership and how they interact with each other? Yeah, we actually have um, four classes of members. We have two classes of accelerator members. We have a class for the freelancer program, and they come into uh, a six-week program that helps them become more sustainable as a freelancer. They graduate from that program, and they would have paid a fee or tuition to go into that program. And um, they get to participate in the operating profits of the accelerator. The second accelerator class that we have is our small business and enterprise program. And this is set up as a program that has four 12-week modules that catch people at their different stages of launching a business Um, creating a business plan, building operational capacity, and funding a business. And people coming through that program need to graduate at least from that third or fourth module. And then they um, contribute an equity stake in their business that goes into a fund. Um, They get to participate in the operating profits of the accelerator as well as the fund itself. And then we have worker members. These are our 
our um, instructors and mentors and other staff members who get paid for the work that they do. So unlike other business accelerators that might um, work off of pro bono services and having volunteer mentors, we actually pay our mentors and our instructors, and they get to participate in the fund as well. And then the investment capital, which as of right now is really just my own um, personal wealth um, put against this, um, gets a chance to um, to have a stake in that fund as well. And so if a business starts doing well uh, uh, that came out of the, the, the boot camp, what happens when it starts making a profit? Does that start feeding back into the into the ecosystem? Yeah, it really depends on the structure of the business and whether or not they're issuing dividends um, back to their uh, their shareholders. Um, we essentially become a shareholder of their business. So, if the business accelerator, for example, brings in one hundred dollars in profit, um, how would that be divided between the worker members? the freelance members, the business accelerator program members, and the investor members? That That's may a great not be... question. The, 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 the vast majority of that is going to go to the accelerator members because they're really the ones that are creating that wealth um, through their business and all the activities that go along with their business. And then a smaller percentage of it goes to the worker mem- members, and then the smallest, I would say about 5%, actually goes back to the accelerator network, um, which is, um, you know, comprised of right now Oakland and San Francisco and maybe in the future other other cities. Great. You know, I, I, I'm curious also about the, the mentors that you talked about. You know, I, I've been, as I've been working with uh, uh, especially cooperative businesses of different sorts, I've found that sometimes it can be hard to find uh, good mentors uh, for these kinds of businesses, you know, in, in, in a town here like Boulder, you know, you can trip over people who've uh, started, you know, multiple companies through VCs and, and have kind of gone through that course. Uh, uh, but but often it, it can be hard to find mentors in other kinds of businesses and they're, they're, they're harder to access. There aren't the kind of structures and communities set up for finding them. How do you find your mentors? What do you look for uh, uh, in a good mentor? Yeah, that's... It is definitely a challenge to find people with the right skill sets, the right mindset, and uh, the the interest and, and desire to pursue a, a different economic system. And most of what we found is, is our best mentors are coming through our program already. So we, um, I started off by teaching and mentoring all the classes, and then I started to um, bring in people who um, had gone through those classes and because they're deeply invested in um, the ecosystem already. And then they started to make um, referrals to their friends who they thought um, would would be a good fit for that. Um, so we're, we're operating off of um, our, our community and a, a deep referral system for the instructors and mentors. Now, is this doing this kind of business different from your uh, what you're used to in your own uh, uh, background working in other kinds of businesses? Can you tell us a bit about the kinds of lessons or learning curve that you've uh, gone through in in uh, developing this model? 
Yeah, it, it is very different. Um, you know, despite my, you know, background uh, that I talked about earlier and, you know, seeing my mom leverage cooperative economics to, to help us become more financially stable, um, I, you know, got an opportunity to grade, get a great education, uh, but that, you know, put me into some student debt. And so I took a job in investment banking to pay that down. Um, I had the intention of spending a couple of years in, in, in investment banking and then moving on to do something with a lot more positive community impact, but it drew me in. The ability to accumulate wealth through that job um, turned what I thought was only going to be two years into a 10-year career. And in that, I learned a lot about financial markets and how big merger acquisition and financing deals get done and found myself really deep in the machine of Wall Street um, with a real burning desire to get out and do something meaningful. Um, the mortgage downturn gave me a great opportunity to get out of that, and I thought about how I could you know, really deploy my knowledge um, and create positive impact. Um, I felt like there were two really defining factors in my success up to that point, my family and my education. So I began to work with a startup education business. Um, I drew on that investment banking training to help structure and get financing through venture capital for this innovative model in higher education that was a nonprofit and for-profit joint venture. Um, and through that experience, I saw firsthand the challenges facing higher education. There are nonprofit schools that have great missions but are under-resourced and have governance practices that move really slowly. And there are for-profit schools that are backed by investors who put a lot of pressure on growth. And we were seeing both of those play out in that joint venture. Um, it all comes down to the conflicts of interest. And so that's where this um, idea for a cooperative business accelerator came from. Um, we um, saw those conflicts of interest um, and wanted to create an institute of higher education that would leverage cooperative economics and eliminate those conflicts of interest so that people can thrive. This is super exciting um, to hear about, Ronnie. I, I'm curious if you could maybe describe the number of businesses that have gone through your program or the number of freelancers, just to give us a sense of, of the scale at this point. Yeah, we started the, the first business accelerator in Oakland in February 2014 and had our first class um, start in September 2014. Since then, we've had close to, uh, actually, over 250 people come through our business accelerator programs. And not all of them have started businesses. Um, some of them have, have come to us to explore businesses. And, you know, we fully expect that only 50% of people will actually um, stick with their business. And that, to us, is a success because we at least gave people the opportunity to explore that um, in a lightweight way. That's super exciting. So what does Optima look like in another city? I know you've indicated on your website that you're potentially interested in expanding this model. Yeah, we have expanded this model. We started, as I mentioned, in Oakland with our first accelerator. And now we are piloting the replication of that in San Francisco with our second business accelerator. 
And through that process, we're documenting everything and um, trying to prepare for a um, a broader push in the future to um, to work with groups in other cities. I think initially we're going to stick with the Bay Area um, because you know it takes a lot of capacity building to um, get something like this off the ground, especially. I mean, it takes a lot of capacity building to get an accelerator off the ground, but when then when you put the cooperative structure around it, which is fairly complicated, and the kind of decision making that gets uh, done in a cooperative structure, um, that takes even more capacity building. And so, keeping it uh, more local in the San Francisco Bay Area, at least in the next few years, um, also the fact that um, cooperatives uh, have different laws in different states and how they can be structured. And so right now, we have a model that works in California that may not work in in other states. And as we grow that network um, and and see the successes in the Bay Area, we fully expect it to then start working with other um, groups in other states. Well, we hope it won't be too long before uh, an Optima Business Boot Camp comes to Colorado. That would be great. I look forward to that. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Ronnie. Uh, you've been, we've been hearing from uh, Ronnie uh, Langer-Crozier, uh, who is co-founder and curriculum and instruction specialist at Uptima Business Boot Camp in the Bay Area. Thank you so much for joining us, Ronnie. Thank you so much, Nathan. I really appreciate it. It's been great to be on the show with you today. You're listening to the Colorado uh, Co-op Power Hour on KGNU's It's the Economy. I'm Nathan Schneider, joined with uh, Paul Bindle, and uh, we'll be back in just a moment.
You're listening to the Co-op Power Hour on KGNU's It's the Economy. It's a production of the Colorado Co-op Study Circle. Today we're talking about cooperative incubators and accelerators and, and co-working spaces, uh, models where people are supporting the develop, development of new businesses, uh, uh, not through principally a kind of extractive profit-seeking mechanism, but uh, through shared ownership, shared governance, and shared benefit. Um, with us now is Joe Ewing of Wayfinder Co-op. It's a new co-working space uh, in Denver organized as a cooperative. And it's just yet another example of this growing uh, movement toward uh, uh, turning back to the cooperative model as uh, a new way of, of developing uh, uh, businesses and startups uh, in our communities. Joe, welcome to the Co-op Power Hour. Thanks so much for having me. So can you tell us a bit about your background as an entrepreneur? Where are you coming from here? Sure. Uh, I grew up in the Denver area. I uh, sort of found my passion for entrepreneurship um, fairly young age, not realizing it was entrepreneurial, but just trying to have a little side hustle. Um, but I ended up attending a um, social enterprise-focused MBA program at Colorado State uh, in 2013. And... There was a uh, there was kind of an internship phase halfway through the program where I I went to uh, Ethiopia and I got to I got really thrown into the cooperative business model and where I really found um, a lot of passion for that uh, working mostly with coffee agricultural co-ops and smallholder farmers and so forth and um, I guess part of the discovery of becoming an entrepreneur was just. I mean, par partially because I don't feel like I'm cut out to be. Um, I have I have a problem with authority sometimes, I guess. <laughs> uh, but I also like being around um, passionate innovators, being creating something from nothing. Um, yeah. And so your business, one of the businesses that you've started, is called Desta. Could you tell us about that? Sure. Um, so that was kind of what inspired this uh, co-op creation with a group of other entrepreneurs, but. Uh, Desta essentially is a, a, a lead generator for adventure travel companies, uh, as well as uh, freelance guides and so forth, uh, all in the outdoor and adventure travel sector. Um, so yeah, it's essentially a platform that companies can uh, bid on trip, trip requests that are coming in directly from clients. It's an opportunity for them to find new clients at a lower customer acquisition cost. And do you have a background in outdoor recreation, outdoor guiding? Is that sort of how this came out? Yeah. Um, I was an Outward Bound instructor for a number of years, spent a lot of time on the rivers. Um, Outward Bound, if you're familiar, is, a, is kind of a leadership development through uh, experiences in the outdoors for teenagers and uh, early college students. So I spent a lot of time in Central America, Mexico, Pacific Northwest, and so forth. Um, yeah, just kind of, a, kind of a river rat. That's how I got into it. Can you tell us a bit about the the pain points, the challenges that you hit developing this startup, uh, and, and where it started uh, leading you to team up with other entrepreneurs? Sure. Um, yeah, the the pain points are ongoing. <laughs> um, I think the biggest thing with the outdoor industry in particular, it's very kind of naturally community oriented anyway. Uh, so people really depend on one another's networks for establishing and establishing their businesses and developing reputations for um, 
collaboration and so forth, which is something that's really an important value in this particular industry. Um, and you have companies that are, you know, consist of one to five people on average. And there's just, um, in many cases, and, bef and what we realized in the Denver area is all these companies were really sort of siloed and separated from one another. So we wanted to create a more conducive environment for creating that. And so Wayfinder Co-op emerged as a way of bringing different businesses together under the same roof. Definitely. Uh, who else is involved in this, in the Wayfinder Co-op project? So um, now we're at about 25 different companies, but it started with, uh, it started with m my two other co-founders who, who run their independent guiding businesses. They do some amazing, uh, one's a social enterprise um, my, uh, they they fund microfinance initiatives in the f developing world through adventure travel um, and these amazing treks uh, and then so that's a company called One Seed Expeditions that's run by my colleague Chris Baker um, they're based obviously here in Denver and going to be moving into co uh, Wayfinder uh, when we open up in January and then Britton Ferguson my other co-founder he runs a company called Revolucion and they do uh, bike travel experiences around Central and South America. Um, yeah, so we, the three of us kind of got together in the middle, uh, in the spring of this year, we were working all out of, um, Chris's, Chris Baker, One Seat Expedition's office, starting to realize what amazing things were happening, just being in close quarters, being able to, um, ask questions like, have you dealt with this particular issue? Have you, how did you raise funds in this case? Like, how did you kind of bridge this gap? Um, or what? I mean, even what kind of tech vendors do you use for this particular issue? And um, it was just amazing what was happening. And we, um, you know, typical to the to the industry, we sat around, had a couple of drinks, and we decided we wanted to formalize this a little bit. So um, I guess in late April, early May of this year, we started to reach out to our immediate networks in the area, and we noticed. Um, kind of a trend people were interested in in that kind of environment the the typical co-working space um, isn't necessarily industry focused and the only the only sort of amenities the only value adds are access to free beer and coffee and that's just not wasn't wasn't really doing it for us like <laughs> um so we uh it, it was it was kind of amazing what happened it sort of snowballed from um from just this simple idea and realizing that um, rolling this out as a cooperative just made the most sense because not only are we um, benefiting from one another's networks and experiences, we have a financial incentive to help each other out. So we're talking with Joe Ewing, one of the founders of Wayfinder, Wayfinder Co-op, a new co-working space that is opening in Denver for the outdoor industry in particular. Um, Joe, I'm just curious, um, how does what you learned in your MBA um, compare to what you learned later in Ethiopia and other places uh, about starting a co-op? Sure. Um, the, the concept of cooperatives was introduced by uh, my business law and ethics professor. who uh, He's a prominent co-op attorney in the Boulder area, Jason Weiner. And sometime host of the show. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah he's, he's great. Um, and he's very involved with Wayfinder. Um, and we... Uh, so that was kind of the introduction for co-ops for me, like on a more like intimate scale, other than I knew about how 
REI worked. Um, but I guess my the, the MBA program was focused on sustainable development, social enter- enterprise, and that was just kind of a, a business model that made a lot of sense to me. Um, we're eventually considering uh, turning Desta into a um, platform cooperative and something that I know Nathan's really um, involved in and something that we're really passionate about doing as well and being able to distribute um, wealth in that way. Um, I think the biggest thing for us um, is we're for us in my startup as well as all the companies that are going to be in Wayfinder is that um, we all are just we really care a lot about work-life balance meaning we want to be able to go skiing in the middle of the week and being able to (laughs) (laughs) not everybody's uh, definition of work-life balance but it's a really good one that's that's definitely one of mine Um, but part of the deal is we want to be around people that have that same um, value and I mean we're all being scrappy entrepreneurs and being able to save money and being able to tap into one another's resources is just yeah I feel like I'm digressing a little bit but yeah no so tell us more about maybe how the co-op will function like what does it mean to be a member of the co-op what are sure. what are an individual's how does someone participate in the co-op so there's uh, there's actually four tiers of co-op membership uh, one of which is, um, you know, is I- ideally exclu- exclusive to adventure travel and the outdoor industry um, for specifically because that's the type of environment we want to create, um, being able to work together in this specific in- industry. Um, we also have a number of other entrepreneurs, remote employees that aren't affiliated with the outdoor industry um, who just simply want to be in that so- sort of community. Um, how the co-op works exactly, um, we're still sort of nailing all that down re- realistically. Um, but we're, we currently have a, um, we've allocated 25% of our, um, whatever we generate in net profits annually that will be distributed back to the co-op members. And it's based on, uh, co-op member patronage is based on their, how much square footage they take up basically. So we have everything from, um, just kind of a flex hot desk where you can sit down wherever there's available seating to private offices that are 160 feet square feet and, and so forth. So, um, and it's all proportionally divided um, from that dividend pool. Super interesting. You're listening to the Co-op Power Hour, a regular feature on KGNU's It's the Economy, and a production of the Colorado Co-op Study Circle. I'm Paul Bendel. We'll be with you on the fourth Thursday of every month. Today we're talking about co-op business accelerators and co-working spaces, and we're going to continue our conversation with Joe Ewing coming up. Welcome back to the Co-op Power Hour, 
a regular feature on KGNU's It's the Economy, and a production of the Colorado Co-op Study Circle. I'm Paul Bendel, and I'm here with Nathan Schneider. We're here on the fourth Thursday of every month, and today we're talking about co-op business incubators and co-op co-working spaces. We're here today in the studio with Joe Ewing, a co-founder of Wayfinder Co-op. So, Joe, give us a sense Say I'm a uh, 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 I'm in the process of starting a business related to the outdoor industry, right? You know, I, I'm um, uh, you know designing a new kind of scuba gear, and apparently, you know, a lot of people in Colorado are doing <laughs> scuba lessons in the middle of Colorado. I don't know how that works, but uh, they're everywhere, right? I'm designing a new piece of scuba gear, and um, I need a place to work. I need a, a, a space. Just getting started, just me and maybe a few other people. Um, what's the process of starting to become uh, involved in Wayfinder? What can you offer? How do I get involved? Sure, that's a great question. So we have a number of uh, companies that are manufacturing focused and uh, so forth. But we, um, I mean, it's it's pretty simple. Come on in and take a seat. You can have a you can sit down for a day and test the waters a little bit. No pun intended from the scuba analogy. But now come in and where? Where are oh, you? Oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. Uh, 525 Santa Fe. Uh, that's fifth and Santa Fe in Denver. We uh, we're building out about a 7,500 square foot warehouse. Um, that's that consists of everything from private offices, dedicated desks, team desks, and a cafe, conference rooms, and so forth. Um, so we, I mean, typical business hours, if you're a co-op member, you can access it 24 seven, but, um, eight to five Monday through Friday, come on, come on in, sit down. You can learn about the co-op. You can learn about all of the other businesses. You can grab a cup of coffee at Carabiner Coffee's location. Um, keep in mind we're opening in January, so I'm, I'm foreshadowing a little bit. Um, but yeah, we, uh, we have everything from, manufacturing companies to adventure travel companies, tech focused. Um, and then we have a number of p- people that just are active outdoor lifestyle enthusiasts and they, uh, they don't necessarily work in the outdoor industry, but they can definitely be a part of this, this, this space. Um, if I was a, if I was starting a new scuba outfitter, for example, as you, as you, um, asked, we, you can, um, uh, uh, in the long run, let's let's kind of let's let's foreshadow a little bit further into the future. Right now, we're offering office space, access to really great internet, community, free coffee and beer, as any uh, typical co-working space would have. Um, but we have in a, we have a member owner um, portion of the of the equity in the business, which is another, which is kind of a, a big value added for us. Um, being industry focused, uh, being able to tap into one another's networks and being able to learn from each other's past mistakes is, is kind of a big, the biggest value I've seen so far. Um, with a manufacturing focused company, we really hope to expand to a point where we can have um, kind of a prototyping space, a, cr- a creative makerspace area for businesses like that where they can actually design, prototype, and beta test all in the same place. So one of the aspects of the co-op is that we have a um, we have a cafe storefront that's open to the public, um, and that's fully intentional. We want to be able to generate as much exposure for the businesses as possible. Um, a lot of these are, are small companies that you know can benefit from any any sort of exposure. But business people want to come in and grab a great cup of coffee and learn about the businesses is one thing, but. Um, a manufacturing company that wants to test a new product and get it on the shelves and get in front of actual customers and users, 
um, we're going to have a sort of pop-up retail space for them to see. And that'll be available during, uh, we're going to be hosting after parties during Outdoor Retailer, which is a big um, gear expo that's going to be in Denver for the next five years minimum, um, a few times a year. And our launch event is actually during Outdoor Retailer in the end of January. Fantastic. And and so I come to your launch event. When is it, by the way? Can um, Is it open to the public? Yes, yeah, absolutely. So um, we're shooting the the Outdoor Retailer event uh, or expo is between uh, the 25, 25th through the 29th. Um, and we're going to be hosting after parties um, each of those nights. So uh, 25th through the 29th, 5th in Santa Fe, come and learn about the businesses. So we're actually going to do kind of a mini expo. Um, for the companies most of us can't afford to post up a booth at outdoor retailers so we wanted to kind of promote in that way um on a much smaller scale i love it you're leveraging the power of your collective businesses to draw attention to all of you That's right. um so i'm curious like standing for the art district is in just south of downtown in denver mm-hmm. how did you guys choose this location an art district for um for the location of your co-working space sure um part of it was just uh, dumb luck, serendipity. Honestly, we found this particular space that we could afford. We, 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 our, our landlord is really bought into the vision and really excited, um, and happens to be our general contractor. So it was just, uh, we, we had to move things along fairly quickly. And that was, there's a lot of motivation for, for our landlord to get the building done quickly. Um, we picked this place, a lot of it because the exposure is great. It's close to it's close to Santa Fe Arts District, as you mentioned. Um, being able to benefit from from the First Friday art walks and so forth, and bring and being able to integrate as much as we can into the arts culture as well. So we'll have different, more outdoor and sort of mountain themed artists. Uh, we're gonna have a large mural that's visible to anyone driving up uh, driving up Santa Fe northbound, um, and then it's just kind of worked out perfectly uh proximity to a big climbing gym called movement movement fitness uh we've been working really closely with crazy mountain brewing which is kind of a an outdoor in outdoor focused uh or branded uh, brewery which is less than a block away and then battery 621 is another sort of shared office space that ha- that houses a lot of outdoor industry focused companies so we're we're uh sort of trying to integrate that into that particular corridor it sounds like there's a new there's a new character that's going to be emerging (laughs) for santa fe art district yeah (laughs) i can't wait to see the mural and and so if i come into uh wayfinder i have a cup of coffee get really curious i've got my scuba business you know i'm trying to figure out uh uh, where to plant it right and um and so what kind of options do you present to me what what are my choices how can i get involved what kinds of membership do you offer sure um so the tiers of membership you can have uh essentially we have co-op members we have community members who are um not necessarily industry focused or or would rather pay month to month and not necessarily be part of the co-op. And then we have uh, community supporter members, which are companies that are industry focused, adventure travel, outdoor recreation and so forth that just want to be a part of the community, want to be able to benefit from discounted event space rental, conference room rentals and so forth, but are too big for uh, to necessitate 
office space at, at Wayfinder. So, so if my scuba business is a big uh, Boulder conglomerate, and sometimes we want to be able to have meetings in Denver, we can still be a member without absolutely. having our full time office there. Yep, absolutely. And and some companies are deciding to have you know they have uh, remote employees in the Denver area. Uh, there's a company out of Atlanta that has a remote employee that's going to be potentially working at Wayfinder. Um, they're outdoor industry focused, but I mean, there's there's options for individuals and and teams. Um, the private offices are almost sold out at this point. Um, the the difference between a co-op member um, and kind of a, a non-co-op member, we have people in both tiers, quite a few, as a matter of fact. Um, the only difference realistically is access to the kind of the shared profits, um, access to vote, voting rights and board positions. Um, other, and we do require that co-op members to, um, take on a, an, a one year lease commitment or kind of membership term, um, for mostly for accounting reasons, but also because it's, um, you know, it's, it's important for cultivating that community. Now. You talked about voting rights and, and board yeah. decisions. Um, can you let us in on any of the uh, uh, challenges that you've been running into? Sure. Any any of the diff what are the what have been some of the difficult decisions? What do you anticipate as being uh, uh, some of the governance challenges for running this co working space together? That's uh, yeah, that's definitely one of the biggest growing pains is understanding how to how to govern this model, which is fairly new. I'm not. Uh, we, we were, it was, it's definitely new for us. Um, but basically we have a board of directors that's, that's comprised of, um, representatives from different companies who we got on in an early stage, which, you know, it hasn't been going on that long. So it's, it's all kind of really staged, but we have, um, seven board members, uh, to have that sort of tiebreaker vote ideally. Um, and most of the sort of strategic decisions are made at that level. Um, a lot of the day-to-day -day decisions are made by myself. I'm kind of the acting acting interim executive director. So a lot of the, like, what kind of toilet paper are we getting this month? Those sorts of decisions are made by me because nobody wants to be a part of that. Um, but we also, we don't necessarily foresee, um, like, a new board election or big strategic decisions made within the first year or so. Um, but we want to be able to... Um, we want to be able to integrate the members in big decisions. Like, are we ready to invest in building out our sort of creative makerspace and how, and kind of being transparent about how that would cut into profits and so forth. So I'm curious, like in this process, um, how have you raised capital to start this business? Yeah. Um, so we, that, that was, that was one of the most interesting experiences that we've had so far. And, Believe it or not, the hardest part of all this was finding a commercial lease and dealing with that. So we, we were very fortunate um, to be able to uh, tap into friends and family um, who were sort of passionate about this this venture. Um, we we certainly weren't shooting for the stars and raising millions of dollars. It was a lot more um, a lot more humble beginnings. Unfortunately, I mean, so we're, we're we're having to be super scrappy. But basically, the terms um, of the investor class of membership is uh, based on a five-year term under uh, preferred dividends. So essentially, we have a proportion of net profits, which is um, equal to uh, equal to co-op members, basically, and they'll be able to. Um, 
they're they're paid out before everyone else and that was just kind of the agreement in the in the risk they're taking but uh being able to find investors who are passionate about the business model but also be able to demonstrate that you know we could we could generate some fairly significant returns um was it was just uh made sense to them and part of it was uh uh kind of well it's an example exactly of how uh you know financing co-ops is possible it just often looks different from uh conventional schemes and yep, you know, you've been finding ways to do it yep. and the more uh the more of these kinds of businesses we get going in this area the easier this is going to become you know and the more the more familiar these kind of me mechanisms will be yep absolutely well, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Joe, can you just uh, uh, remind our listeners, anybody who wants to get involved, either coming by your retail space or, or getting involved in uh, uh, as a potential member business, uh, uh, how can they find out uh, more about what you're doing? Sure. Um, so when we open up in January, we're shooting for January 15th and more of a, a big launch event at the end of the month um, between the 25th and the 29th of January. Uh, you could stop by 525 Santa Fe. Uh, that's at 5th and Santa Fe in Denver, right off of 6th Avenue. Um, stop by anytime. You can also reach us at info at wayfinder-coop or coop.com or go to the website. There's a lot of information about it and dif the different memberships and so forth. Um, yeah, you can always shoot me an email. I I'll, I respond directly f to the info at email. Um, but yeah, we'll we'll be hosting a lot of public events um, and ideally, you know, have have a lot of fun and play hard, work hard, kind of thing. Absolutely. Well, congratulations on this uh, uh, on this really exciting venture. Thank so. you. Absolutely. Thank you for being with us. Uh, you're listening to the Co-op Power Hour on KGNU's It's the Economy. Now, this show is a production of the Colorado Co-op Study Circle. Uh, this is a, a, a group, a kind of informal group of uh, folks around the, around the region who are interested in cooperative business models. And we've got uh, uh, a sequence of events coming up uh, uh, pretty much all the time. Uh, Paul, do you want to tell us what's coming up now? Sure, Nathan. So coming up, we actually have um, a meeting of the Colorado Co-op Investment Club that will be on Wednesday, January 10th from 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. The location is still to be determined, but it will be in Denver. And this is just a, a opportunity if you are interested in investing in cooperatives and being a part of a monthly group that meets. This is what this group is doing. <laughs> They'll be investing in co-ops around the state. Um, then January 13th on Saturday um, from 9.30 a.m. to 3.30 p.m. at the Shorter Community um, American Methodist Episcopal Church is the Gentrification Summit. So this is something that has emerged in Denver as a pressing need. The subtitle of this event is Our Communities Are Not For Sale. So they are actively looking for solutions to gentrification, and one of those that is going to be heavily promoted is cooperatively owned businesses. Um, coming up on January 24th from 7.30 a.m. to 9.30 a.m. is the, an ownership culture workshop. So this is Wednesday, uh, January 24th at the Commons on Champa in Denver. That's 1245 Champa Street. And this workshop is going to focus for business owners that are currently conventionally owned and traditionally owned, um, how to create a, an ownership culture where your owner, where your employees think and act like owners. So the goal here is for 
if you think of what a business owner goes to sleep thinking about and what an employee goes to sleep thinking about, the goal is to make them think about the same kind of things. <laughs> so um, that will be happening on January 24th, and it's open to all business owners and anyone interested in ownership culture. Great. And then one other thing to just keep on your radar is uh, over at CU, I'm teaming up uh, with uh, Business School Leeds uh, School of Business uh, to develop uh, an event we're talking about as the Colorado Shared Ownership Summit, a really ambitious effort to bring together people across the state from ESOPs and credit unions and co-ops and all sorts of other uh, uh, cooperative and cooperative-like businesses uh, uh, to, to recognize our strength and explore strategies for building a new generation of these kinds of businesses. Um, so that we're looking at, at October, probably the 13th or 20th. Um, uh, I'll, I'll keep uh, uh, updates coming on this show. Thank you so much for joining us uh, tonight for the Colorado Co-op uh, uh, Power Hour. And um, please find out more uh, at the Colorado Co-op Study Circles website at uh, coloradocoops.info. Uh, there you can find uh, updates about our events and uh, past episodes of this show. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I'm Nathan Schneider. And I'm Paul Bindle. We'd like to thank our guests this evening, Joe Ewing of Wayfinder Co-op and Ronnie Langer-Kroger of Optima Business Bootcamp. You can find more about them at wayfindercoop.com and optimabootcamp.com. We'll see you next month. Thank you.